0: Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shavit to discuss Delta's third quarter earnings and Virgin Australia's first year in the black after more than a decade. Also, if you're attending World Roots next week in Istanbul, please say hi. I'll be there covering the event for Skift and Airline Weekly. Now, on with the show. Enjoy. Thank you. That's we are recording this on the first day of uh, airline third quarter results. We have Delta Airlines just came in and and they had some solid numbers. They met expectations. They you know, reported an adjusted operating margin of 13.5%. Total revenues were up 13% year over year uh, to about 14.6 billion. So, you know, solid numbers from Delta. Another profit for the quarter as we expected.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'll read some numbers, uh, a few, few more, more numbers for for all of you, uh, if you'll uh, oblige me, uh, just to just so everybody is aware, we are speaking uh, as as Dan mentioned, it's Thursday morning. Delta has just released its results. Um, we have not uh, heard the, the the conference call starts uh, in a little bit, so uh, we will have uh, you know we'll all have a lot more information in in another uh, you know another hour or so from when we're speaking. But for now, we know that as Ned mentioned, uh, operating margin was, was uh, I think they said 13.5 adjusted. I have 12.7 only because they exclude their revenue from their refining operation. So, you know, pick whether or not you want to include or exclude that, but we'll call it 13%. Uh, the uh, um, important fact here is that uh, they pay $2.78, on average per gallon for fuel. And that compares last year to $3.53. So big, that's that's a big uh uh very important fact there that they paid a lot less for fuel uh this third quarter this summer than they did last. Uh and in that's fact even last, with fuel
0: prices going up in the third quarter. So it's, that's good.
1: Yeah, and, and fuel fuel prices uh, you're right. They started moving up um from levels that were you know quite a bit down from a year ago. Uh, and by September, they started getting getting a little bit uncomfortable again. But for the most of the quarter, I think, uh, as these numbers suggest, fuel was fuel was pretty pretty in a pretty comfortable, manageable position. Um, just so you know, uh, so that thirteen percent operating margin compares to sixteen percent in the same quarter of twenty nineteen. So they, uh, they did a little bit better before the pandemic. Um, it is up from eleven percent in last year's third quarter. So not doing as well as they were in 2019, but they are doing better this year and last. And I think fuel has a, you know, big, big explanatory factor there. Uh, so, yeah, we, we um look like, you know, all in all, they said that they were going to, you know, mid-September. They said that they're they were going to come in at 13 percent. And that's what that's what they did. So there you have it. Yeah. So,
0: you know, um, Delta definitely hit numbers. One thing that another thing that, that jumped out at me was the domestic side. We've we've talked about a lot about how domestic demand appears to be weakening and I think Delta's numbers show that. They said, you know, rasm is down uh, 4% on 11% capacity increase. Um this was of course system-wide offset by by um international but uh, you know, it still shows that there's a lot of uh, domestic capacity coming in, and that's pressuring yields. Now, of course, Delta sorry, Delta's release did say that domestic demand is steady, but you know, again, more capacity means yields go down, and we're seeing that. And you know, it's definitely pushing yields down as as airlines come back because Delta increased eleven percent year over year.
1: Yes, and and steady, quote unquote, is a is a less bullish adjective than some of the others. They've been using earlier in the year so I think I think what you said is exactly true now there was this about domestic there was this big mystery uh in mid-september when spirit and Frontier basically came out and said you know the, the world is falling apart and you know the demand is looking bad and capacity is 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 situation is bad and our costs are going up and our operations are a mess and this and that and but yet everybody else was kind of saying oh no things look pretty good so where this this quarter this quarterly earnings season is going to go a long way towards sort of rec- reconciling that big disparity between those messages, um, and I think we could already see some answers here in the Delta press release that they put out this morning. As you mentioned, Ned, I think domestic is is definitely you know I don't think there's any evidence that it's bad per se, but. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll use Delta's words. You know, steady. Is that the word they? Is that was that the, the literal word that they use? Uh, yes, it was steady. I'm yes, looking at it yes. yeah, steady. Yes. So we'll call it steady. So no. We, and to be clear, we've
0: been saying this for a while. Like domestic demand, by you know, it is a slowdown compared to the you know heady growth we had last year, but steady is still good. Like that is still. Strong. A lot of people are flying, and if airlines weren't growing as fast as they are, steady would would be quite good. Actually, it's just we got yeah. so much capacity coming back into the market.
1: Right, right. Now, what we'll uh, hopefully we'll learn a little bit more, uh, you know, later today, and then as other airlines report, we'll get a better picture of uh, you know what within domestic is is doing well and not doing so well. Now, what they did say uh, is that corporate um, is continues to improve. Uh, and that's, you know, that could be international or domestic, but presu- presumably a lot of domestic corporate is doing well. Now, that's something that Spirit and Frontier don't have. They don't have the corporate. They don't have the premium. And in fact, if you look at Delta, they do break out their premium numbers and their premium revenues um, were up quite a bit more. I'm kind of looking for the numbers, but it uh, th- doesn't really matter. Yet. Oh, there it is. Um, so they're yeah premium revenue is up 17 percent their main cabin revenue is up only 12 percent so clearly that's a part of their business that's doing very well that spirit of frontier don't have and then of course there's the international um you know transatlantic appears to be still going gangbusters they said that you know strong demand continues into the fall which is usually a period of the year when it falls off uh but looks looks still great and so they have uh you know just extraordinary revenue gains on the international front again that's something spirit and frontier don't have i mean they have international right. but it's but it's short haul it's to you know right. the caribbean or whatever so so yeah they're, they're, I, I think we're starting to sort of get a bit of get a better picture of uh you know kind of where the strengths and weaknesses are
0: right and and I, the, the weakness appears really to be in the the price sensitive lower end of the market. um, You know, that could, you know, be a forewarning of greater economic concerns ahead. But the truth is, is, you know, Delta position, positions itself as a premium airline, and they, they are definitely profiting from that. Like you said, premium revenues continue to be up. You know, I, I did a quick percentage and premium revenue makes up 39% of all of their passenger revenue, whereas economy or main cabin is 50%. So it's, Creeping out a lot closer to economy, and that's I mean that's huge, and that really fits with Delta's positioning and uh, how it yeah in the market.
1: Yeah, and, and I think as we've said before uh, in earlier podcast that you know Delta and and I think this is true to an extent you know for for United and uh, even American they they want to sell BMWs they don't want to sell Hondas anymore. Yes. Um, they are becoming you know more of a premium airline now. Once um or one one thing that uh, we we all have to keep keep our eyes on is the economy, the health of the U.S. economy, which has performed a lot better than people expected, and particularly on the travel, leisure, experiences, you know, side side. So airlines have benefited a lot from that. Um, does that, you know, continue to hold up? Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a really interesting article I encourage everyone to read because I think it has a lot of Um, very insightful about sort of how the economy works in 2023, which might have been different the way it worked in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, is that, uh, you know, we have a large percentage, an increasing percentage of the population that's in that retirement age, call it post-65 years. And uh, that cohort is uh, representing just a larger and larger percentage of overall spending. And, you know, retired people have free time. They can they can do more travel they uh you know so even aside from some of the more flexibility that the working age population has because of remote working and all the you know things that happened since the pandemic there's there's that but there's also the fact that you know just a lot of americans are retired <laughs> and uh they um they seem to to want to travel which is a you know it's a definitely a tailwind for airlines
0: Absolutely. You know, um, we will, listeners, drop, put a link to that Wall Street Journal article in with the podcast notes. Oh, one thing that I wanted to see, get your thoughts on, Jay, is if we look at Delta's international breakdown, I mean, international is overall very strong, led by transatlantic. But I was curious that we saw a 3% or a 1% decrease, not 3%, sorry, reading the right line. Decrease in Pacific unit revenues, which is odd because we have been talking about how Pacific seems to be the area that is coming back, demand is coming back the most at at this time because... It's been. It's mostly been closed. Now that could just because. Well, capacity was up seventy percent. So I actually, a three percent unit revenue decrease on seventy percent capacity increase is actually probably pretty good.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider that a negative uh, at all. That that's just a situation of where uh, you know just all this capacity got restored, and so your average fares are going to be. I mean, it was so the only people were flying to China you know last year were people that like absolutely had to go because it was basically a closed market so and it
0: didn't mind quarantining for what a week 10 days something like that
1: yeah exactly so they were paying these are people that were paying extraordinarily high yields where now that's kind of more evened out so I, th- I think the Pacific um and they'll you know hopefully they'll they'll shed some more insight during the call in a little bit but they uh but but I think the I, I think Asia Pacific is is been you know very strong for them yeah yeah, I have to, yeah I have to believe. there's been a lot a lot of pent-up demand right um, and then then remember too there's a lot of uh you know on, on a route like China there's just there's a lot less competition too it's just the the market has been restricted capacity wise uh so the um the yields are getting help from that see in fact yields were actually up 70 percent capacity increase but yields were up unit revenues were down this is yield true rates.
0: yields are up two so, percent Yep. yep yeah
1: two percent so uh yeah so I think that's a good story. Um, yeah, and even yeah, it looks like I'm just glancing a number of years. I mean, yeah, certainly we know that Europe, um, or what they call the transatlantic. I, I believe they include India, maybe the Middle East, and that as well, um, and Mid- Middle East. But by the way, we'll, we'll, that's another thing that we'll be listening for if there's any, you know, uh, the recent events in the Middle East, whether that has any, you know, impact on uh, on their outlook. Uh, but overall, Atlantic looks great uh and latin america numbers looked good too you know yields down a bit but on you know much more capacity so right uh, pretty pretty much good news story right yeah so
0: listeners we will drop a link to our coverage of delta's earnings in, in the podcast notes so so you can read more on what they say during their call and with that we'll be right back after a quick break And we're back. So, speaking of profits, we're going to head down under and talk about Virgin Australia. They have, you know, it's an, an interesting airline. They, for years, lost money as they tried to go up market. Uh, I believe you told me eleven years, Jay, and they finally turned turn a profit after a dramatic restructuring that has seen them go from a, a you know attempting to be Australia's second global airline to a single single fleet, to m- mostly domestic uh, narrow body airline. And and they made a, a small uh, operating margin, nine percent, during the fiscal year ending in June. Jay, what 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 did you find out about Virgin Australia?
1: Yeah, pretty pretty good, nine percent. That was uh, yeah, fiscal year ending in June. So um, that was uh, their. Um, th- this is basically the first time they they kind of disclosed the results since uh, entering bankruptcy, which they did right uh, after the pandemic hit in twenty twenty. Um, give you a very brief history of, of Virgin Australia which uh we started out as Virgin Blue in around 2000 and they sort of got out uh very very early they became very profitable um very uh you know very high margin airlines in their in their you know in their early years call it their first 5 years um and then they they kind of experienced what I like to call the WestJet problem. <laughs> if you so Canada and Australia are like it's amazing how many parallels those two markets have. I mean, similar size population and you know long distances geographically in terms of routes. And I mean, I can go on and on. Lack um, of largely
0: transportation. Du- it's yeah, yes, yes, yes,
1: largely duopolistic market with you know one big kind of global player and then one low cost. So so Virgin Australia, much like WestJet, you know started out very profitable they quickly ran into growth issues though like where do we grow from here you know there's only so many markets within australia that that work for us so you know we need to it's it's sort of a cardinal rule in the airline industry is like you got to keep growing in order to keep your unit costs down because you're going to experience you know labor cost inflation over time and inflation other things over time so you got to kind of keep growing get your unit costs down but where do you grow? And so their answer was, okay, let's go into you know regional flying, and let's go into you know let's fly triple sevens to California, and let's uh, let's start entering the premium space and go after premium. And before long, they became such a complicated airline, and you know they everything they did just Qu- Qantas just beat them. It was like everything they they um, out maneuvered them, outperformed them, and like you mentioned, they Virgin wound up losing uh money for 11 straight years you know at one point they were just uh you know just constantly looking for money all the time to, to keep keep their operation going and so they sold stakes in you know air new zealand and singapore airlines owned a big chunk of them and uh Hainan airlines owned a big chunk of them and etihad owned a big chunk of them and then finally this whole kind of a you know mess of an airline uh just fell apart as i mentioned in in early 2020. Uh then an, an American private equity firm came in, being Capital, Capital, came in, ball yeah. control. Yeah, I think Virgin Group still holds about five percent. Uh and they did uh, you know, they did what airlines do in bankruptcy. They slashed costs, they simplified their operations, they're now pretty much doing just seven three sevens. I think they still have a few A three twenties and F one hundreds left over, but um and I have a feeling that
0: those are doing a lot of the um uh what is the what is the model in australia there's a it's basically charter market but hired by my mineral and you know oil companies to to help get travelers to and from their destinations and that can be a very lucrative business but i think that's where the f-100s and a320s fly at this point so sideline from their main, main their you know standard passenger operation but they're still there yes
1: Right. They, they did stay in that mining charter business. You know, Australia is like this huge, you know, natural resource economy with, again, just like Canada, has a lot of natural resources in the western part of the, the, the country. Um, And they, uh, yeah, so they, a lot of miners need to fly off from these remote places and stuff. So they use these old depreciated planes like F-100s. But uh, yeah, largely a 737 airline. And yeah, I mean, they seem to be doing well. They're still, you know, kind of position themselves as a, Semi premium type airline, uh, uh premium leisure, or whatever you want. to If we're call looking it.
0: to a U.S. comparison, I'd almost you know liken them to to a JetBlue. JetBlue you know, yeah. they're yeah, yeah they're they're very JetBlue yeah. or Alaska, very very sort of comparable carrier. Um, you know, in the market and stuff. I I do wonder, did they mention when you when you looked at the results anything any benefit from the reputational issues that Qantas is facing? And and listeners, if you haven't been following. Qantas's CEO, longtime CEO Alan Joyce, quit, uh, I believe, a month early after you know the airline's been accused of uh, scheduling flights on the busy Sydney-Melbourne route. They never plan to fly, basically, to preserve slots. They've blocked Qatar Airways from adding flights to Australia, even though uh, you know, apparent from what I understand, fares are very high. There's excess demand that Qantas can't meet. So there's some reputational issues at Qantas. Did Virgin talk about that at all?
1: They didn't talk about it, but it's probably the case that they are benefiting some. Now, why didn't they talk about it? Well, one, because they only issued a press release. They didn't do an earnings (laughs) call. They are not a public company yet, so we won't get any earnings calls from them. Though an IPO
0: is expected to come sometime in the future. IPO is expected,
1: yep, yep. And uh, they were thinking originally about doing it before the end of this year. I think Bloomberg reported that uh, that's not gonna be, uh, it's not gonna happen until 2024. You know the timing of IPO always depends on you know how the markets are doing and investor sentiment and all that. So um, they're just kind of waiting for the right moment where they can you know sell the shares for the maximum amount of money. Uh, per look, looking like twenty twenty four, but uh, but yeah, they seem to be you know in a much better shape now. They seem to be the the, the chief executive is actually uh, the former chief executive of uh, of Jetstar, which is Virgin's chief enemy. Jetstar is owned by Qantas uh and so you know it's it's always a good thing when your ceo knows knows the enemy in in and out and that's uh yes. helpful um yes. and yeah so it's it's you know they're making money that's that's a good sign now you know again qantas notwithstanding some of the troubles that uh you just spoke about ned um the uh, you know service issues and the problems of unions and regulators and all that notwithstanding all that uh a very it's an extraordinarily well-run airline and their record of success over the past 10 years or so is, uh, you know, is 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 quite impressive. So it's, you know, Virgin is dealing with a very, very difficult uh, rival here.
0: Absolutely. And, and the truth is, is the Australian market is, I mean, there's not many, like you said, there's not many places to grow. So, you know, Qantas gives up a few passengers to, to Virgin. I mean, we're talking a few points of share, maybe. Like you know, Qantas is still the you know hundred pound gorilla in the room. There's not many places, there's not there's not much room for passengers to switch in mass. So mm-hmm. it's um yeah, I expect Qantas will continue to do quite well. You know, despite their their uh, reputational issues, they continue to be quite profitable, and of course now have a lock on on at least of Australian airlines on the international market. So it's uh. Yeah, right, it's it'll right. be interesting it's, to watch.
1: It's still largely a duopolistic market. There's a uh, you know uh, Rex, I believe it's called. The, uh they're now operating 737s on some of those routes. So um, you know I can't imagine they're doing too well. It's 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 uh, you know again Canada has the same problem. Every time a third airline gets in, it's it's always you know that you know niche niche players here and there in Canada. They've got Porter and uh, you know have some regional airlines in Australia, but. Um, largely, you know, a two two airline market. And uh, but but as you said, it's um Virgin Australia, they could run into that same problem again eventually, where they uh you know, where do we grow? They do now, they're growing back into some of these short haul international markets, you know. Think of Fiji and Bali and you know, places you can reach. With... In fact, they're even flying 737s all the way to Tokyo from Carnes. I think you wrote about that It is
0: it is widely viewed as a sort of slot squat, squatting plan, you know, they have some very, very limited uh, Haneda, they have one set of limited Haneda slots. Qantas would love to get its hand on, hands on it, but in, in you know, good competitive fashion, they're unwilling to give that up and to, you know, to meet usage rules. They're flying a 737 MAX 8 from from Karnes, Cairns up to Haneda which is you know one of the longest max routes in the world but hey they can do it and it keeps their access to Haneda you know there in the event that in the future they're ready to uh buy white bodies again and fly that themselves
1: yeah and they do have a partnership uh I think it's pretty modest with all in the pond up there um actually also do they used to have a partnership with Delta now now they're working with United uh so I think they work uh even with Qatar Race. So which it argues is
0: probably much a better partnership for them because United is just a far larger airline into Australia than Delta ever was. So, yeah. you know, now United's United serves Brisbane, Sydney, and, and Melbourne, which are the three biggest cities. Of course, Brisbane is Virgin's largest hub. So, you know, having that feed's got to be some benefit. It's just a code share at this point, but, you know, definitely could grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why they they switch. And yeah, the only fun thing I'll say about Australia is that, uh, you know, just, just stepping back and looking at sort of the macroeconomic situation. I mean, this was an economy that, you know, went for pretty much two decades without a recession, Um, just one of the healthiest economies in the world for many years, Uh, and a lot of economists attribute that to just so much demand for its natural resources, particularly from China. Uh, There are, you know, some questions now with China no longer having a fast-growing economy, no longer, uh, you know, voraciously consuming the world's materials um, and Australia's materials does uh you know australia have that uh you know economic momentum going forward uh, it's an open question but um that's uh you know just just one of many many questions for uh for virgin australia and qantas as as we move further into the 2020s
0: absolutely Well, listeners, with that, we're going to take a break. We've got to dial into Delta earnings very shortly. Like I said, we'll drop a link for our Delta coverage in with the podcast notes. We'll have that journal article that Jay mentioned and also coverage of Virgin Australia. If you want to reach myself, you can email me at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, always a pleasure.
1: Oh, likewise, Ned. And uh, again, to all of our listeners, happy third quarter earnings season.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.